0: So... <laughs> Sorry. Uh, wait. This is not uncomfortable, but it's very weird. This is the thing? This is the one. Absolutely. And now it almost couldn't have happened in a better way. Where did you want to be? So it was just like, ah! Am I funny? Now if I go over here, who is I still? Yeah, way better. I never thought about that. Yeah, it's I don't see it five years from now that you're not my most famous friend. You really have to commit to something. Good to have someone pushing mm-hmm. you. Cool. That was really cool. Yeah, it might cool. This is On The Cusp. Hello, I'm Ben Green, and welcome to On The Cusp. This week, my guest is Tim Neenan. He's a sketch teacher at the UCB Theater in LA one of the members of the UCB mod team, New Money, and he's written for shows like Newsreaders, The Onion News Network, and Filthy Sexy Teens. I'm not sure how you're listening to On the Cusp right now, but you should know that there are a lot of ways to listen to it. You can find the show on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and on iTunes, and I hope you'll subscribe to the show on one of those sites. This week's episode is sponsored by Ty Pepper at 6219 Franklin Avenue in Los Angeles. If you haven't been to Thai Pepper before, now's the perfect time to come sample some of their famous pineapple fried rice for $6.90. And while you're chowing down, don't forget to use hashtag please on Twitter. The only official hashtag of Thai Pepper for summer 2015. Thai Pepper. Just like the Beatles said it, hello, hello. I don't know why you say good Thai. I say Thai Pepper. So, when I got on the sketch team, New Money, back at the beginning of 2013, Tim Neenan was one of the only people on the team that I knew pretty well from before getting on the team. We were both part of the very late-night improv show, Mock Improv, at the time, and that was largely the slice of the world that I knew Tim from. I knew him as an improviser. But when I got on New Money, I saw another side of Tim for the first time. I realized that Tim is kind of the glue that holds New Money together and it was really amazing to discover this whole group of people who saw him that way. I think it's because his passion for the team is so obvious, and he goes way farther than he needs to with everything he does for the team. Like, it's already a lot that he makes the tech CDs for every show, but if you look at his Instagram, you'll see that he also hand draws a cover for every CD that matches the theme of that month's show. He's the member of the team that's edited the videos for all of our shows and put every sketch on YouTube in a perfect catalog. He's the reason we have an operating website, and I could go on and on with examples like this. You know, Tim once wrote a sketch about a fictional video game called Diaper Strike. He said he thought it would be cool if some footage from the made-up game played at the end of the sketch, and for most people, that thought would end there. They would never do anything with it. But Tim stayed up late and figured out how to actually make that animation and it ended up looking incredible. That's the kind of thing Tim does all the time and what helps to keep his fellow teammates on New Money inspired. So I'm very excited to share this interview with you guys. My talk with the one and only Tim Neenan. Here it is. yesterday I get Standing in their shade Something's wrong with my depth perception So I walk in place till I reach a destination So you were up till 4 a.m. last night watching the movie Babadook.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How typical is that? That you're kind of like a night owl. Uh,
1: very. I do. I I stay up very late. Like I'll stay up till dawn a lot, and it's not good because I also then don't sleep all day. I will have to go do something at like nine or ten in the morning, <laughs> uh, and so. Um... <laughs> It's horrible. (laughs) So do you very typically get, like, five hours of sleep? Uh, yeah. I would say, well, no. uh, I think, unfortunately, like, I have no... I couldn't tell you what my sleep schedule is. Like, it's either five, or if I don't have anything that day, like, I will sleep till noon or something, having gone to bed at five in the morning. Um, So it's very erratic, and I, I think it makes me unhealthy, maybe. When did that start? Um... I think when I moved to LA, uh, a little bit after I moved to LA, um, I guess the, (laughs) we're going to jump right into it. Like my sleep went to shit, like after, uh, I don't think I, I think the sleep schedule has been like a weird side effect of, uh, uh, some grief. Like I lost my brother and then I like, wasn't sleeping at all after that for a long time. And I don't think it's really tied to that anymore. I think my body like, just started assuming like, oh, there's no predictable <laughs> uh, uh, sleep schedule coming for, for me at all anymore. Uh, and I only think that might be the reason because uh, my dad describes the same thing. He just doesn't sleep anymore. Uh, and he absolutely thinks it's like still tied to that because he is uh, dealing, I mean, he's a parent, so it's different. Um, but yeah, he still has a hard time with it. Um, and my sister, same thing. She's got like a weird sleep schedule. Uh, uh, so I should probably fix it at some point. Uh, see like somebody going to a doctor? Yeah, like I should address it, but I don't have insurance yet. <laughs> How did you lose your brother? Uh, he was in, uh, I lost two. One was in Afghanistan, uh, in 2010 and, uh, two years before that, I believe. Uh, my stepbrother, uh, I lost him to a, a drunk driver. Those are two terrible ways. Uh, yeah, it was a rough couple of years for sure. Um, 2008 yeah, I think it was two years because I lost Jeremy, the stepbrother right before I moved, uh, and Brendan, uh, my uh, biological brother, uh, uh, right after I moved. And is your staying up late still like connected to grieving? No, not at all. That's it's just why. You formed yeah, that habit. I, I really think I formed the habit as a result, and so like it's. I would bet a million dollars it's a hundred percent fixable at this point, and okay. I just haven't gone to a sleep specialist or just gotten some. I don't know. I'm also very like uh, f- uh, phobic about medication. Like, I don't even really like taking aspirin. Um, I don't know what that's all about, but like, I, I really just like don't like doing it, and I, I would hate to like have to be prescribe something. Like, if it turns out I need Ambien, I'd be very pumped out and probably wouldn't take it, because uh, uh, I don't know why. I have no answer for <laughs> why that is.
0: Uh, well, we'll talk about uh, more about what we've just talked about later. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you were born in Alabama? Yes. At uh, what town in Alabama?
1: Uh, I'm from Enterprise, uh, which is adjacent to Fort Rucker which is the Army's uh, helicopter flight school. Uh, so I was actually born on Fort Rocker because when I was born, my dad was but a uh, pilot, and um, now he teaches flight school. So, um, yeah, born in the, the town that is sort of next to it and feeds off it, and, and they have this kind of symbiotic relationship, the base in that small town. Um, uh, uh, born there uh, until I was two or three and then we moved around a lot, uh, as army families do. Um, but I'm still like very much from Enterprise, Alabama, because uh, when my dad became a, a flight instructor, uh, there's only one place to do that, and that's an enterprise. Uh, so he uh, was stationed there when I was in th- the tail end of third grade, almost fourth grade, and I'd been there. I had been I've been there until I moved to LA, um, which was a nice experience because I didn't have to move around in high school and junior high, like so many kids I knew did.
0: What does it mean that your dad was
1: a pilot and a pilot in the Army? hmm So
0: what was that job like? Uh,
1: I don't know. I wish I knew more, I guess. I mean, I know he flies helicopters. Uh, uh, I, but he's, like, seen action? Uh, uh, very little from what he has told me. Like, I know that there was, a, like, the closest it ever came. Like, he was not in any major war in our time. Uh, but he um, he does have a story about getting his uh, like so below your feet is glass called the chin bubble. Uh, and you can see straight down. And his chin bubble was shot out by uh, 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 you know the guys growing uh Whatever poppy seed whatever they make drugs out of in Panama. Uh, really? he, he was like flying over that because uh, I, I again, I'm making a lot of this up. I don't know what his job was, but there was some form of as there is in Afghanistan now, there was some form of uh, policing of the drug trade in Panama uh, that I'm sure he was uh, had to fly some missions for. and uh, I'm sure those guys growing whatever did not like that and uh, shot at him. But I think that was like that's as scary as he's ever told me it got. Yeah, there could be things he's just never told me about. He, does he love flying? He still does it. He retired officially from the Army in 2000, and he is still doing it as a contractor in 2015. And, like, I think we'll just keep doing it until they ground him on <laughs> on, on physical. Like, like you don't pass the physical anymore. You're very old. Uh, <laughs> which is, who knows, 20 years away. I don't know. He loves it. He. I think that's... I took a lot from my dad. He was a very good dad, but the one of the biggest takeaways, like just watching him as a kid, was seeing uh, someone love their job and to chase that because uh, he loves going to work. He still he's a teacher, and he loves that aspect about his job. I think um, I think he's always loved his job, but you can tell like he extra loves going to teach flight school and dealing with. Twenty, you know, twenty-year-olds uh, uh, who have just decided they're going to fly helicopters. Um, he loves it. Yeah, that's great.
0: And what did your mom do,
1: uh, like, as you were traveling around? Uh, my mom was uh, at home. I guess she raised us. Uh, the army like requires that he was at work a lot, and so yeah, somebody needed to be around. Uh, she worked briefly. I remember when we were stationed in Korea. Uh, She got, like, an office job, uh, I'm sure, just to, like, keep her sane a little bit. (laughs) Uh, And we had um, uh, uh, a woman named Mrs. Che who would stay at the house with us and and cook us Korean food while my mom was at work. Um, But then when we were stationed in Panama, she was at home uh, uh, just raising us. Um, And then uh, she was diagnosed with cancer, like, at the tail end of our time in Panama. And they, um, the army was like really great about it because, uh, also in Alabama is this really incredible cancer research, uh, hospital in Birmingham. Uh, and they were like, uh, it was really, it was like everything aligned. They were like, well, Hugh can go to Rucker and he's going to be a flight school instructor and that allows him to be stationed in Alabama permanently, and his wife can be treated at at UAB. And so, yeah, like for that, so we moved back to Enterprise. Um, And then, uh, yeah, it was like until 1998, just uh, like her, she was being treated for it until she passed.
0: She was diagnosed at what point, what year? 93
1: or 94? 93, because I was, yeah, in the tail end of third grade.
0: And how would you consider yourself as having, like, a happy childhood up to her diagnosis, and how did her diagnosis affect
1: you after that? Um, happy, yeah, for sure. Like, I was, uh, uh, it was, I was so young, like, eight years old. Like, yeah, I remember being happy, uh, um, as happy as, like, any eight-year-old kid. Yeah, my parents' marriage was good, and, uh... Uh, So there was no, like, internal strife that way. Uh, And, yeah, I think, like, her being so sick, because, like, they they did not give her very long. And, like, she really did, like, aggressively pursue, like, every possible avenue. And it was never because she—I don't think it was ever because she talked like she was going to beat it. Uh, she would say, like, out loud that, like, she just wanted to get to my sister starting kindergarten, uh, which was five years out. Uh, And she did it. She, like, died, like, right after Katie started kindergarten. Uh, But it uh, was—it's tough to watch somebody, like, in retrospect, like, I don't think I realized it because you're a kid, and, like, that was just— it's weird to be a kid and, like, the default is just, yeah, my mom's sick. Like, it's not weird to you. It made every, like, my friends uncomfortable if they came over. And so no one wanted to come to my house because I had a very sick mother in, like, bed in her room. But, like, it's 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 funny, like, what you just adjust to. And you're like, that's that's regular life. Um, but, yeah, in retrospect, it's brutal to see somebody fight, like, a cancer that's fully winning. Uh, and just hanging on no matter what. Uh uh, and I think that might have like made me a weird kid a little bit. Like I was definitely a weirdo. And <laughs> how are you uh, weird? Uh, it was tough to like be friends with me. Like I think I was just like in general annoying. And I think there was like kind of even if I wasn't consciousness of it, there was definitely like just this cloud of sadness at home uh, for me and my brother and my sister. And uh, I I don't I, yeah I I guess I couldn't in, like intelligently say like why that made me weird, but uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was tough to make friends. I could tell, like, I've always been pretty aware when somebody like doesn't want to talk to me. (laughs) I actually like that about myself. I can tell when somebody, like if I'm at a party or something and I'm clearly, oh, this person doesn't want to be talking to me. I'm going (laughs) to let them go. Uh, I am I'm very like scared of being that person you're trapped in a conversation with maybe to a fault. Um, and I knew that as a little kid. Like I knew that people thought I was annoying. <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't know. I think I just like tried to be very like silly and class clowny like in the wrong way. Like in a way that I was like just trying to get attention and stuff because there wasn't a lot at home. There was too much stuff to do and and treatment going on. and. Uh, my dad at work and my mom, like, barely able to communicate at some points. And uh, so so then it fell on me to, like, sort of watch my younger brother and sister after school and stuff and parent them a little bit. Uh, uh, And I, yeah, I think that just made me, like, (laughs) try to be very big outside of home.
0: Um, Any stories that speak well to how it sucked having a mom that was sick (laughs) uh, growing up?
1: Yeah, it's funny because, like, any sad story I have about it, like, or just a story that, like, speaks to, like, what it was like to grow up with a sick mom. Yeah, it's all kind of in retrospect. Like, you, like I said, like, you, it all just becomes, like, what life is. Like, if you've got a sick mother or, like, a sick wife or whatever, you, uh, like, that just becomes your default. Um, so it wasn't, like, overwhelmingly sad as a kid. Uh, it was, it's, it's all in retrospect, like, thinking, like, what a weird childhood, I guess, that was. So, yeah, like, and most of it just makes me feel terrible. Like, the, yeah, uh, so when she, uh, when, you know, other forms weren't working or it was becoming more aggressive, she, uh, decided, all right, we got, we got to go full macrobiotic diet, uh, which is just lots of, like, brown rice and, and, and beans and stuff, um, and I remember, like, me and my brother just like bitching incessantly about it. Like, she'd serve dinner, and we'd be like, "Oh, I hate this stuff!" <laughs> like, really, just being awful children. Uh, and she would have to be like, "I under, I know, I know, but like, this is for me. Like, this is this is like for treatment. And like, they're they're saying right now that like, this is like this uh, can help people who are, or possibly treat cancer if you if you go full macrobiotic. Uh, and we're like fourth and first graders, like, we didn't, we just wanted macaroni and cheese, and that's horrible in retrospect, like, I understand it, I understand that we were just dumb kids who didn't want to eat bland brown rice, uh, but I'm more, yeah, it makes you feel bad, because you think of what that must have been like for her to have to serve her kids, like, her bad cancer food, (laughs) um, and yeah, there was this time where we were, like, driving down to, uh, uh, Florida, I think, uh, to visit my grandmother, and um, there, yeah, like, uh, she, if you drove for long distances with her, the the chemo uh, would make her vomit uh, uh, kind of regularly, and so we would have to pull over, and she'd have to, like, throw up on the side of the road, and, Uh, again at the time it was like yeah this is like this is how like we have to drive with mom and it's not a big deal Uh, and I think it got so bad on that trip that we ended up having to pull over and get a hotel and the hotel was like across from Disney or Universal Studios or something (laughs) and again we were little kids who had never been and we were like Pushing our noses against the glass like orphans looking at like food in a window or something, and asking if we could just go. Can we go like just for a little bit in the morning? And the answer was of course no. And we didn't know at the time that we were pulled over in this hotel because my mother was sick. Uh, we thought like my dad had cruelly picked a hotel from like across the theme park, and he still says like. That story has, like, come up, like, in the last couple of years or something, and he still says, like, that was a very hard moment as a parent for him. Uh, it just made him feel terrible, and I'm sure it made it made her feel terrible.
0: So what were your main activities,
1: like, in middle school and high school, like, the things you liked doing? Uh, it took me a, a while to find one because, um, yeah, I was... Uh, never sure like if i was in good standing with like any group of kids uh and and like wanted to be liked and and was weird and and definitely like post my mom dying like i was that kid in school who everyone sort of felt bad for because they definitely like tell everyone um so i tried a lot of different ones like seventh grade is like when junior high started for us and that's where you have to do extracurriculars um before that like elementary is just all the core stuff. So seventh grade, I did drama and like was in plays. Um, And then eighth grade, I took art and um, out of sort of desperation of not like having any (laughs) other like options. I didn't like, I played piano a little bit and you couldn't play piano in marching band. Um, So like, I couldn't do that. Um, And Yeah, I ended up, like, sort of just taking art on a lark and did not like it very much Um, and couldn't draw at all, so, like, I just... (laughs) So you're a good
0: good drawer now. Uh, I
1: don't know. I've seen you, like, on
0: your iPad uh, doing things that look good, but I guess that's... You know how to, like... Use Photoshop very well is that which is maybe a different thing. That's a big
1: thing, yeah. I, I guess I can, yeah. Uh, I can't like freehand draw very well okay. in a way that like Cardley can, but yes, I can manipulate like uh, Photoshop pretty well, I guess. Um, uh, so yeah, eighth grade was definitely. I remember eighth grade in particular was kind of this. Um, that was the year my mom died. Maybe coincidentally, I don't even know if I've ever thought of this and put this together, but like that limbo year where I had no activities and didn't know like which, like, who was really, like, my good friends or anything, uh, was that year. That was the same year I took art with, like, a bunch of strange kids I'd never hung out with before and was, like, very... I remember being very jealous of the kids who were in marching band, uh, who had started in seventh grade. Uh, and the kids, um, like, on, even on just, like, yearbook, like, kids who had, like, a thing they really enjoyed doing for their elective. And then my friends. Uh, so in ninth grade, my friend... Michael uh, convinced me to join the show choir. Um, uh, he was like, it's, "like, there's, it's all girls and like, it's super fun and you just like sing and like screw around all day, it's awesome. Um, and I said sure, I, I didn't even, like, I just blindly followed him and do an activity hoping that would stick. Um, and uh, it was kind of fun, like it was, I liked all the road trips, like you got to go on lots of like, trips to show choir competitions. Um, uh, but I was a little bit of like a lazy show choir like if you've ever seen a show choir like all the dancing is very like it pops and is very precise and you're like moving into very specific positions Uh, and I was definitely the kid with sort of like noodly arms who was like lazily going through the motions (laughs) and like singing because i knew i was with 50 other kids and like they're not gonna know if i'm really singing or not (laughs) yeah i was just doing it to like hang out with my friend michael uh (laughs) and uh like be surrounded like in girls in like bright red show choir lipstick (laughs) Um, and did not enjoy it enough to like even audition for like the high school show choir uh and I remember, like, when ninth grade ended, like, all the girls, like, standing in the hallway looking at the poster that said whether or not they'd gotten into the high school show choir and, like, screaming with, like, real tears coming down their faces if they didn't get it. Or oh. if they did get it. Like, I that was, like, <laughs> I think that was... Maybe the first time, and we see that now, like with auditioning and stuff, like uh, it's maybe not screaming and crying, but like I feel like that exact emotion is inside if you're not showing it on the outside. Uh, That was like my first like peek at what that looks like to like care about something that much and like to have it not somewhat in your power based on talent, but to have somebody on the other end just say like, nope, you don't get this. Like for the next year, uh, you will not be on this thing that you worked really hard to be on. Um, (coughs) so yeah, uh, we had a weird school system where seventh grade was all one school, eighth and ninth grade was its own school, and then high school was 10, 11, and 12. Um, the reason for that being they had lots of extra buildings from pre-integration, uh, and so they, (laughs) (laughs) uh, split, uh, the school up to take, to take advantage of like the old black high school, um, uh. Which is both sad and also good, because you see, like, oh, phew, we did it. We made progress <laughs> and recycled this, like, sad history. Um, so, yes, then going into high school, like, I finally found it. And my, my friend Mark and Randy, uh, uh, this friend that got me into um, choir, like, we sort of, like, just slowly weren't as good friends anymore like for no reason. He just like got into different stuff than I did which happens when you're in junior high. And like he went off to like do the rifle team I think. Uh, And uh, my friends Mark and like uh, uh, had introduced me to this like kid Randy who like is now one of my best friends uh, in the world um, as is Mark. Uh, And they were both doing band and I was like well I don't play any horns or anything like I would love to get to hang out with you guys all day because they had like grown to be like Mark specifically had like grown to be my best friend at this point. Uh and I would love to yeah like be in bands and they introduced me to the drumline guy and he was like, "Oh, if you play piano, you can be on the drumline. Uh we have like mallet instruments and marimbas and xylophones and stuff." And uh, uh he spent like an afternoon with me showing me how to play those. Uh and I knew how to read music, so I knew rhythm and could also like work the timpani and some of like the background percussion and stuff and had no idea I could, uh, do that. Uh, I, I didn't know that like, uh, there were elements of, like, music ability that you could transfer to other instruments. I thought i just played piano, and then I was like, oh, my God, I play, like, nine instruments and didn't know that? Uh, And then high school, like, now it was fun. Like, now I was in a thing that I loved doing, and, like the group I, like, for the first time ever, like, my group of friends, like, liked me. <laughs> and uh, it, it felt like I was on equal, like, footing and, and good standing with the group of friends I hang out with, where I was always, like, the sort of annoying one before that. Um, and, oh, my God, it was so exciting. Like, the first band practice I went to, I, I was, like, my, like, heart was beating. I was having such a good time and thought this was so cool, and I had this, like loud drum instructor who like yelled at you when you didn't get like who was a good teacher but absolutely like that sort of whiplashy like why are you not getting this and I loved it like I was like yes more please like uh uh it was really really fun and so I did marching and symphonic band like all through high school um and and while there like learned how to play other instruments and like uh, got to go on like awesome band trips and like I, I did this thing called Indoor Drumline which is like this sort of um stomp kind of program uh that like is a national program and you get to go to Ohio to do like the final uh you know we went to like the world championships in Ohio as part of Indoor Drumline which was like a you know, off. it was the off-season of marching band, indoor. And it's all percussion and mallets and no horns or anything. And like, there's dancers and choreography and you put together like basically what amounts to like a stage show you might see in Vegas uh, at the high school level. <laughs> um, and like, those are like all my favorite high school memories is doing indoor drumline. Um, and like, my dad got super involved with it and like wanted to drive the band truck whenever we did uh, trips. And so, like, my dad and Mark, my best friend, his dad, uh, who was also, like, in the Army, uh, our dads were also friends. And so it was very fun to, like, watch my dad and Mark's dad, like, be the two dads that ended up driving the band truck. And they would, like, uh, they drove, like, looking back, like, my dad drove this immense, like, carrier truck full of, uh heavy, heavy drums and mallet percussion instruments that couldn't get over 45 miles an hour to Ohio for our championships uh, from Alabama. And, like, he said he loved it. He said he was, like, having such a good time, and it was, like, him and Don, like, (laughs) driving to Ohio, pit-stopping to get, like, beer and cheeseburgers uh, uh, to, like, watch their kids, like, do this fun (sighs) drum thing. Oh, that's Um, great. Yeah, I really loved it. And it ended up, like, I all this time, like I'm getting into comedy also on my own time and movies. And like, I know who directs and produces things the way like no other kids knew that. Um, And I remember like feeling the tug, like, man, I wish I was doing drama um, because I wanted to do that too. uh, But you couldn't do both in my school and like all my friends were in band. And I I guess like it still like was the right decision. uh, but I do remember feeling a little pained that like I couldn't also do the plays and stuff because uh, it was like this big, big, big interest I had that nobody else shared. I had no friends that were also into movies. Uh, all my best friends like didn't really care, and they would like take my recommendations. And I could usually argue like, "Well, what movie we would go see that night?" But like nobody ever like wanted to talk about theme afterwards. <laughs> Which and was I,
0: like what at that time? What what
1: were the ones you loved the most? Oh. Oh, man, I, I, I don't remember. High school? What came out when we were in high school? So, like, the big summer stuff would be, like, that was, like, when The Matrix and the new Star Wars movies were coming out, and, like, um, I don't know, like, little movies? I don't know. It was It's weird, because, like, when you're in early high school, like, what I think of as, like, discovering real movies was stuff that people have long ago discovered. Like, I had to do the crash course in high school of, like, Going back through Tarantino's library, and then like from there, figuring out what influenced him and in finding the old westerns. Uh, uh, and um, so, yeah, my list of movies that were blowing my mind at the time are the same as everybody else's list of movies. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I remember pointedly, like, I do remember Fight Club, um, which I'm like, <laughs> I don't really watch Fight Club anymore, but I do remember Fight Club being the first movie I saw. That broke my brain a little bit, telling me that before that, like all movies were just what my parents would rent. Like all movies were Forrest Gump uh, and like had that arc. Uh, I I truly didn't know that you could do anything else uh, as a ninth grader. And then I saw Fight Club, which was just not a movie I had seen ever before um, uh, that wasn't Top Gun or something. Um, and I remember that was like the birth of it. My aunt showed me that movie, actually. She was like, you should watch this. I was visiting her and she knew, like, she was, she, like, I could tell she was, like, renting me some movies she knew I wasn't allowed to watch. <laughs> and I remember Fight Club breaking me a little bit. Even just, like, the plot twist in Fight Club, I was like, whoa, they, like, lied. They lied about what was going on in the movie. I didn't know you could do that. Uh, and that led to, like, digging around in Blockbuster and... Uh, the internet to find out like what movies I should be watching (laughs) How at peace did you feel with your
0: mom's death in high school and how much did you continue to grieve it?
1: Um, I think kids are pretty resilient I was in 8th grade when that happens and like it's devastating like my dad put us all on his lap really like he called me and my brother and sister and like before school we were already getting ready for school and he had left to uh, she died during like a uh, r- routine treatment it wasn't like at home uh so like he came back from the trip to UAB in Birmingham and uh like early that morning like called us all in and said like your mommy died last night and it like in that moment I remember like there's been few times in my life where like you feel like an impact like that but uh yeah kids I don't know like we're all supposed to lose our parents, and I wonder if we're just like hardwired to recover from it pretty quickly. Um, Even though it was like under, you know, it wasn't old age. uh, I remember like even at the end of that day, having very rudimentary little philosophical conversations (laughs) with my brother, like we we, uh, we were sitting on the couch and like, this is hours after getting the news and just being like, man, this is, it's weird. It's weird that she's gone. It had already settled into just being kind of weird. Uh, And he, um, like, his immediate response to that was like, man, I wonder when I'm going to have to go back to school. Like, and and not like, I don't want to go. We were already just sort of thinking about kid practicalities (laughs) and how we were going to tell our friends. Um, uh, It's weird. It was a weird thing to do, but like, I immediately, like, I was like, well, I'll call people. And my dad was like, what? And I was like, I'll call, I'll call, like, her friends. Uh, and he was like, okay, yeah, if you want to, if you want to be the person to do that. And, like, I called her friends, uh, my mom's friends, and, like, some and called, like, one of my my friends. My, oh, I called Mark, this friend I'm talking about, I called my friend Mark and, like, told his mom because, like, they knew each other from church and stuff, which is weird. It's weird that, like, I, <laughs> I needed to do that. And I remember some of the people, like, calling being like, oh, Oh, so they were not, they were like, why are you t- calling me? Uh. Uh, not because they weren't, they weren't interested. Like, I could hear them feeling like, why is Tim doing this? He's right. like a child. Yes. Uh, uh, it was just this weird thing I felt like I needed to do to cope or something. But yeah, so not, I didn't grieve a whole lot. Like, it was very sad. The funeral was very sad. But uh, yeah, kids bounce back from parents dying, I think, pretty Pretty quickly. So,
0: jumping out of chronological order, how did the deaths of your stepbrother and brother impact you differently?
1: Those are, uh, yeah, those were like, I'm still dealing with it a little bit. Um, That's different. Because, like, my brother, also in particular, like, um, so Jeremy, my stepbrother, he was like one of the kids I was hanging out with in elementary, junior high, high school. he was like i skateboarded like in junior high that was like one of the things i dabbled in desperately trying to make friends <laughs> and wasn't good at it but jeremy stuck like we ended up remaining friends after skateboarding um and after my mom died like jeremy's mother was uh bringing him over to my house and like interacting with my dad and like after a year of that or something like uh uh, uh they like my dad asked me like can i go like on a date with uh Miss Lisa, uh, and I was like, I, I, I think that was 10th grade, maybe ninth grade, and I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Cause then like, you know, cut to years, years later, they didn't get married till I was a freshman in college. Um, but so, so throughout high school, they were seeing each other um, and it was great. Cause like my best buddy was like uh, also uh, our parents were dating and then eventually became my stepbrother, which was very cool. He wasn't, like, somebody just placed in our home uh, that none of us knew. Um, It was, like, this really
0: cool thing that he became your brother. Yeah,
1: very much so. Uh, um, And, like, we hung out less in high school, uh, um, I think, for, like, a combo of reasons. One, we were into different stuff uh, uh, again, like people do in, in high school, he was just not in band and wasn't interested in any of that. And we were like hanging out with different groups of friends, but also like saw each other at home all the time. Uh, so it really did start to feel like brotherly, like even when they were dating. Um, uh, and then, yeah, then I went off to college and like, I felt like I taught, I I feel, I, I guess the thing, like if anything, if there's anything I'm still like extra sad about other than the obvious reasons of of losing him is like, when I went to college, like, we just didn't talk a ton because I was gone. Uh, And he was like uh, doing trade school uh, uh, to be a welder, I think. Uh, uh, Which he like uh, did really well at it, I think, and like uh, graduated and was like, had a good job lined up. Um, And I was visiting home my senior year, I think, Uh, just on a weekend, I randomly decided to drive down uh, and yeah, my dad came in the room and said that, uh, uh, they were passengers on their way home from a party, uh, uh, and the guy who was driving them was drunk and, uh, went off the road and, and they were killed instantly. Um, uh, and as far as like, I don't know, I don't know really, like, I, I'm not conscious of how that affects my life like day to day, um, uh, mostly it was just impossibly hard on, on my stepmother, Lisa, who was, like, really just the most wonderful woman in the world, and uh, uh, he was her only biological kid. She still very much, like, calls us her children because she's been with us since I was so young, like 14 or something. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's not an easy thing to <laughs> uh, to deal with. And so I think it just affected our our home a little bit. It was very sad. Uh, and, and it was, it was making sure she was taken care of and like that she was feeling love, I guess. Um, uh, cause I think we were able to process it a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, my brother, Brendan, that's like the one that like, yeah, still, I feel like I can feel it a little bit day to day because, uh, when I said that like nobody, um, I had nobody to like talk about movies and stuff with like as far as friends goes like he was that person. Like my brother and I were the movie nerds and like comedy nerds and watched every like Comedy Central stand up special and uh he uh he was only going to do like one tour in Afghanistan and I don't think was interested in making a career out of it. And then like he was talking to me like he hadn't made a decision yet but like he was like I don't know maybe I'll come out there and do like UCB stuff with you when I w- when he would like call me from Afghanistan. Uh and we knew each other's references and they were shorthand. It was very like twin-like. He was three years younger than me, but we liked all the same stuff. We liked all, like we read comic books and like were, he was really like my best friend in the world. Uh, and um, I was not ready for that at all uh, when I got that call. Cause he was also like done. He was, uh, he had been there for a year. He was coming home in two weeks and then he was never going back. And he was killed like on his last patrol. There's a, there's a, I mean, there's an article about it in the Atlantic called The Last Patrol about um, like everybody in this unit like about to go home and then they get attacked. Uh, He was killed by an IED and like it was this awful firefight. So I guess like that was, uh, I'm a little surprised I made it through. Honestly, because I'd only been in L.A. for a year and I was just toast at that point. Like I <laughs> uh, uh, I was already struggling, like as everybody does in their first year in L.A. And like then when I flew home, like and it was just it was just so devastating, like the overwhelming sadness, like that there's just not vocabulary for uh, uh, just oppressive, like from from uh, through every. Um, section of the family, like people flying down and, and driving up from Florida, and just like this is my great uncle John, uh, my dad's uncle. Like very bluntly at the funeral, was like, "This is the worst thing that's ever happened to our family <laughs> in any generation." Uh, which is like, <laughs> uh, I think he might be right. Like it was, I it really blew my like. It still like is surprising like how big uh, an effect that death was on everyone. Um, cause he was so like just wonderful and lovely and kind in the way that I'm not that as kind as he is, uh, and, um, you know, wanted to find he, uh, Kyle Bosman reminds me of him a little bit the way they're t- <laughs> like, he's just like, uh, I don't know. It's probably fine for people to like that thing. Uh, that was like his outlook on things if I was complaining about a movie or something he'd be like it's fine like <laughs> let people like what they like he was very just nice and, and, and kind natured um, and so I thinking of having to move back to LA and like struggle and be rejected and uh, uh, try to be funny in the face of millions of people who are funny than funnier than me I felt like at UCB it was just, it seemed impossible like I, I can't I'm very surprised still that like I came back out. There's definitely a world where I'm like I, I tapped out. I'm not going to get over this one and came back, got all my stuff, and moved back to like teach high school. Um, uh, but people, like I, I don't know, like a thing that helped was just like the support I had. Uh, I was on a beta team at UCB at this point, and like uh, uh, Eva Anderson was our coach, and she was like. Uh, or maybe I wasn't on the team yet, but like she was about to put me on the team or something and she was very nice to me. Uh, and I don't know, like she, uh, she was like very cool to me in a, in a time that like I was very sad and bummed out about everything. Um, uh, Adam McKay was like very, uh, uh was very cool um, and like checked in on me to see how I was doing. Cause like we'd, we'd met at this point and we're hanging out a little bit or just seeing each other at the theater. Um, so yeah just like having people that were sympathetic uh, helped a lot Um, yeah so what are the steps that brought
0: you from doing music in high school out to LA doing comedy
1: there was kind of like a a gradient move Uh, I so I finished college and took the L set and did good and like was gonna go to law school Uh, and at this point, like, I had done a little bit of drama in college, but wasn't part of the drama program and had taken some acting classes. And again, this has always, like, been there. Like, since I was, I was making little Batman movies with my mom's video camera when I was nine. Um, and it was always just in the back of my brain that, like, it would be great to, like, write and be in movies. Um, but in Alabama, like, there's just no access point or, like, there's no... uh, People who, like, grew up in maybe uh, cities, like, at some point, like, you figure out, like, oh, yeah, people can just move to L.A. after Chicago. Nobody does that in Alabama, anyone at all. Uh, So it took, like, going all the way up to, like, taking the LSAT that I was like, wait, am I going to be a lawyer? Like, I don't... No part of me wants this. Like, everyone told me I would be good at it, uh, as far as, like, parental advice and, like, my grandparents uh, saying I would make a good one. Like, the family thought I would make a great lawyer, uh, um, uh, which sounds like an obvious thing for parents to say, but they, they also were like, don't try to be a doctor. Like, <laughs> they, they were specific in what, like, they thought I would be good at. Uh, Not with those butterfingers. I mean, I flamed out immediately in my, like, freshman biology course. Like, I made good grades in high school, And then, like, the moments, like, I was faced with, like, not being able to sort of just, like, bullshit your way through high school, like, a place where you had to study. Uh, I, like, tanked my first biology class. (laughs) I was like, well, I'm not going to be pre-med. I'm going to go back to uh, this BA where I get to write essays all day. I know I can knock that out of the park. I know how to make people cry, like, teachers cry with my writing in high school. Like, it's... I was picking the thing I was good at, but it was absolutely out of laziness, Like, which is weird in retrospect to think about. I was like, well, I'm good at writing, but my motivation wasn't, I'm gonna do this because I'm good at writing. I'm gonna major in lit and like do creative writing courses. It was, I'm gonna take these courses because I know I will do well in them. Uh, from like a GPA standpoint, it was sort of out of <laughs> laziness, which is weird. I wonder if we're all chasing like what we're good at, out of just because it would be too hard to do anything else. Um, but,
0: but comedy writing, you do love. I do. So it's just this kind of creative, like more like prose writing that was more out of I'm good at this, so I'm doing it
1: for that reason. I also love that too. I don't know. I don't really know. I didn't know what I was doing in college. College was weird. Like I didn't get a lot out of it. I think I didn't even like get socially. Uh, Corrected the way you're supposed to in high school. Like, I was still a shithead to my girlfriend at the time, and like, I didn't learn (laughs) how to be a person, I think, until like my first two years in LA. So, you ended up moving to LA in
0: 2008? Nine. In
1: 2009, yeah. I I graduated, uh, freaked out about going to law school, uh, told my dad, um, hey, I don't want to do this. I want to go to LA and maybe screenwrite. And he really surprised me by saying, uh, yeah, okay do it now. I mean, like don't wait. That's great. Uh, uh, he, and not immediately now he said, he actually said, do wait. He said, come home please for six months and (laughs) save some money because you're going to lose it all immediately. And he was absolutely right. Um, so yes. Uh, so then I moved home, uh, and got a job as a bank teller, uh, which is also like not just saving money to move to LA, but like I was six months from moving eight months, maybe. Um, And that could have gone wrong. I could have not have ended up moving to LA. Like, I know all my friends thought it was like all talk. Like, yeah, sure, whatever. You went to college and then you moved back to the same small town you grew up in. Um, But that bank teller job was the thing that maybe cinched it. Like, it was like, whoa, I can't, I cannot live here anymore. Uh, Cause in a small town like Alabama bank, like people are very friendly and open with their bank tellers and will spew whatever racist, horrible thought goes through their Uh, (laughs) minds. Uh, um it, uh, or you know homophobic missive because like there's some dude that looks a little gay across the room to this woman cashing her checks and she wants to comment on it like it was it was real despair working there <laughs> I uh, I really like hated every second of it um, and some of the people I worked with were wonderful but just like it was once a day you would be faced with something that really was like you heard someone say something really ugly. Um, and I try to like defend my hometown a little bit sometimes, uh, because it was like adjacent to a military base and was a a melting pot more than other Southern towns. Uh, and I grew up with people born and of the South who were wonderful people. Like they're not all terrible. (laughs) Uh, I would say even most of them aren't. Um, but it deserves its reputation. Like it's rough down there. Uh, and people there are a lot of not great people still like hanging on to this like fantasy of the 50s when everything was better for them (laughs) Uh, and that job like it was like okay I gotta go and then I lost some money at my station gave too much money away like screwed up which is a fireable offense and they fired me um, after working there for a long time I wasn't quite ready to move and I ask myself sometimes like was I going to move? Like, before I lost that job, like, would that job have just turned into my job if I didn't get fired? And, like, when I got fired, like, I drove home, and I was like, hey, um, I'm not working there anymore. I'm going to just, I'm going to go now. I'm going to move, like, in two weeks. Like, and the move to L.A. took two weeks. Like, I got fired, went home, got on Craigslist, and, like, was browsing apartments and just going to, like pull the cord um and yeah. at the same time this is what's really weird to me and i haven't really figured out while i was doing that i saw the musicians institute was in la uh, which is like this post-grad like uh kind of pop music where you learn to go play guitar in the way that will get you employed in the music industry so like graduates like get the guitarist job on the Katy perry tour or whatever like learn how to be a working musician um I applied to that school as like, I don't know why, like I I sent off a bunch of recordings of myself playing guitar and I had gotten pretty good by that point and they got in and called me and were like, hey, we'd really love you to be a part of the school. And I wonder if like all of that was just some sort of fail safe, like, hey, parents, like I'm going out to do this sort of nebulous thing I don't actually know how to do at all, which is screenwrite and like try to do TV or movies and stuff. But also, like, I did get accepted into this, like, school that teaches me how to, like, have a job in the arts. And I don't think anybody cared. Like, I don't know. I got out here and never went to the school. Like, they, they, they ate my deposit, uh, uh, an application fee. Um, but I ended up finding a roommate on Musicians Institute's uh, Roommate Finder. Oh, good. (laughs) So I didn't have to do a Craigslist Stranger, and that was great, because I ended up living with this guitarist for the first, like, eight months, who was so cool. Like, this dude, Brandon, who I think is now back in Philly, but, like, he was going to the school and was such, like, a cool, chill, like, roommate to uh, make that first year in L.A. a lot (laughs) easier. I don't even think it was a full year. He was maybe only there for six months. Um... But yeah, and then once I was here, um, yeah, started doing, started going to UCP, like sort of just looking for my way in.
0: So of everybody I know out in LA, you're one of the most strategic people I know, and you've just done LA really well. I feel like you've got an amazing work ethic, you've done the right jobs, you've written what feels like to me pretty prolifically uh, different scripts uh, did you come in with that
1: strategy no um, there's definitely people we know like this but like I I, 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 uh, I don't know if this is true I might just say this very wrong thing uh, I <laughs> I feel like the people who move out here fully cold like knowing nothing about anything is, I've I've found to be kind of like a minority. Um, and that doesn't mean everybody was already set up with an internship out of college or, like, had a friend that worked somewhere. Like, I just feel like most of my friends, like, had an idea of, you know, where you even look for a job, maybe, when you come here or that knew what a PA was. I was, like, a dumb idiot, like, who drove here who didn't know anything about anything. Uh, and so... No, <laughs> I had no strategy whatsoever. But I was, I was even as a tiny kid, and 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 then moving out to LA, and now uh, I'm intuitive. I know I'm intuitive for sure. I know I can read how things work pretty well. I think if more so than strategy, certainly more so than talent, I think I have lucked into jobs or done well at jobs because I kind of can read how things are supposed to. Go. Um, So I moved out here, uh, was in this weird one bedroom apartment with no furniture, with a fellow guitar player. Uh, Immediately went to a temp agency uh, and temped around a little bit. I worked at City Hall in their tax department and definitely screwed up a lot of city taxes (laughs) because I bullshit my way into that job. I told them that I had accounting experience and I was considering my bank telling accounting experience and they sat me in this cubicle for three days and told me to like file this all these numbers and crunch these numbers and I was truly like I'm not exaggerating just like kind of randomly putting things into a computer until I would get caught <laughs> uh, and I never did the temp gig ended and I'm sure two months later they came across a series of numbers that were completely screwed up <laughs> uh, and yelled at that temp agency yeah um, I but like, I knew how to make it look like I was doing <laughs> that work. That's pretty good. Because, um, uh, like, I just read how, like, it was supposed to look. Um, and then I, then the next job I got from that temp agency was a plastic bag factory in Vernon, this, like, horrible industrial wasteland, like, south of downtown. Uh, and I worked there for, like, six or seven months. Uh, and it was death. Uh, and... At that time, when I got that job, I was also working nights at the Palladium and the Wiltern, the, the, the concert venues here. And that was kind of cool because I saw every concert that came through LA for almost a year. Um, and had finally like, taken my first UCB course. Um, and my first two, I think. I think while I was at the Bag Factory, I took, uh, I, at that point I might have been in Improv 2 and Sketch 1. Um, I wasted a lot of time there. Um, and so, yeah, that was very much like I I don't know, like trying to hold an armful of water. Like, I was always exhausted, and I was like working eight to five during the day, and then working until two in the morning at the concert venue, and then if I wasn't at the concert venue, I was like maybe interning at UCB by that point. Or no, I wasn't interning for the first half of the bag factory, I was just taking classes. But yes, some, and then on weekends, taking the classes that I could afford. Uh, and then near the tail end of the Bag Factory gig, that's when I lost my brother, and like I got the call, um, and I flew home for that. Uh, and it was actually like the first day I was home in Alabama, like sort of dealing with that. That Lindsay at UCB called me and was like, "Hey, we want to um, give you an internship. You were recommended by your teacher." Uh, and I was like, "I can't. Uh, I, I can." Oh, she like asked if I could start the next day, and I was like, "I'm here dealing with this." And it's funny to think that I thought I had lost it. Like, I I thought like, oh no, I this has made now I won't get the internship because I wasn't available, which is <laughs> yeah. absurd. Like she, <laughs> of course, immediately was like, oh oh my god, I'm so sorry. Well, we'll see you next month. Like, okay, uh, good. like there, <laughs> I can't believe like a part of my brain in that grief was like. Oh, no, I won't get the UCB internship. (laughs) Uh, It's embarrassing. Um, So I came back. Uh, It was a long trip home, obviously. Uh, And as I left, my dad was like, hey, you need to quit one of those jobs. Um, You're going to find out. You're going to, three years from now, you're going to be like, fuck, I moved to L.A. to work at a bag factory. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And he gave me a little bit of money that would like cover me for a couple of months, like two or three months, which I don't think like was easy for him. <laughs> uh, and I worked at the bag factory a little longer and then quit, yeah, to to focus on what I was focusing on. I had the UCB internship. I was starting to read that I was somewhat like, liked there a little bit. People were responding to my stuff, especially in sketch. like. We could talk for an hour just about that, like the realization of like, whoa, I should be really focusing on the sketch side of things Um, uh, uh, after like struggling with improv for a little bit. Um, So yeah, quit the job and then uh, there's this dude, Mike Rosenstein, who was hanging out at Comedy Death Ray Um, and he was just always there every Tuesday that I interned on and I asked him like, I don't remember what I. It was something along the lines of like, "What's your deal? <laughs> like, what do you do?" Uh, and um, he said he worked at uh, Red Hour for, uh, which is Ben Stiller's company. And I asked if there were like jobs there because I was definitely looking. Like now, I was off, and I I was absolutely terrified of like blowing through this little cushion my dad gave me to find the right job, and then not finding it. Like I had no I. I was like, I'll kill myself. I can't, like, <laughs> I can't waste this opportunity he just gave me. Um, and he was like, No jobs. There's internships. They're not paid. Um, and so I took it. I, I went into interview, or he didn't give it to me. He said I could come in and interview, and I interviewed with this guy, Robin Madri- Mabrito, who I'm still like buddies with, uh, who was like running their interns at the time, uh, and I got it. And I was still working at the concert venue for sure for like for my night job. Um, and so I worked at Red Hour during the days and after like two months I was doing well enough there that they were like that Mike and I think Robin pushed me on one of uh, like the dudes that run the company they were like you should be his assistant Um, and I had no assistant experience and I was pretty intimidated by it and like he wanted somebody that had like come up through CAA like he's a big producer (laughs) Uh, but they convinced him to just like hire one of the interns in house and I was very bad at the job. <laughs> um, and, but he seemed to like me all right. And everybody at Red Hour seemed to like me. Um, and they were giving me, like, these weird little writing jobs. Um, and, like, if there was, like, a, some sort of web project they were working on, like, I would ask if I could try to write a script for it. Um, yeah,
0: I remember I, you doing something with a trailer uh, yeah.
1: while, like, that you were talking about when we were
0: in Chris Kelly's uh, Sketch 201 class. Oh, Wow.
1: I don't think I remembered that we were in Chris's two hundred and one class together. Yeah, that's very funny. Um, it was like it's you, also me, funny that I talked about it. Allie Horde. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, Allie was so funny in that class. Her sketch about um, Red Lobster uh, and like the game was that like they were just throwing all kinds of things through cascading water in, in Red <laughs> Lobster commercials. Like that's still one of my favorite sketches I've ever read. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So. That's that's funny that you remember me mentioning that. Um, yeah, so, yeah, they just sort of generally liked me, but also, like, he was very upfront about the fact that I was bad at my job, and after months and maybe five, six months of doing that, he was like, you can't be my assistant anymore. Like, you can't forget to tell me people called. <laughs> uh, and he was right. I was bad at this job. Um, or, or tell me people called too late. Like, I... I I was okay at like staying organized, but like I had no like, I couldn't read the way the industry was supposed to work. Like I couldn't read like the subtleties of like how you accidentally insult someone by like not calling them at the right time or something. And I didn't want to know that stuff. It's 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 the part I don't ever want to be super familiar with because it's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you should either be not involved in it or above it. Right. He brought me into his office and said, we need to find you a writer's assistant job. Uh, or that's what you should be doing. And this is where, like, yeah, preparation meets, like, opportunity. Because my friend Whitney had just decided she was not going to be the writer's assistant for Paul Shear anymore on NTSF, on Adult Swim. And uh, I, she asked me if I'd be interested in interviewing. And she brought me in, I think, before... Uh, to interview to be a personal assistant over there to the guy who produces all those shows, uh, and our friend Laura Chin ended up getting that. Um, so, like, I think they'd seen my name before, and she was like, "You should come in for the writer's assistant job." And I told Stuart, my boss, I was doing that, and he was like, "Great, that's what you need. Great, that now I can fire you," <laughs> uh, which he was going to do anyway. But he he was like, "This is good, like, because <laughs> I think he he likes me a little bit." Um, or just wanted to get rid of me, but didn't want to throw me to, like, the, the gutter. It <laughs> no, it's not like he both really liked you and didn't want you yeah. to maybe he's do just, that job anymore. Maybe he's just not mean. Uh, so I went in and interviewed, and immediately after the interview, I was like, well, I didn't get that at all. Because um, it was just a weird interview. Like, I sat next to John and talked to him about what I wanted to do in life and, like, that I wanted to write. But it was while they were in the like it was during shooting of Children's and he brought me into Village. And like the, uh, the person who was directing the episode was clearly like not loving that there was a job interview going on right behind him and like kept like looking back. And like I had to like pick times where I was able to talk, uh, which is not during shooting, or when they're rolling, and not when he's giving direction. Uh, so it was a very stilted, weird interview, and yeah. I felt like I completely biffed it. Um, and I walked upstairs to Whitney, uh, and I was like, well, I didn't get that. And Gilly Nassim also worked there at the time, and, she was like, and I was like, yeah, that didn't happen. And they were like, oh, no, I'm sorry. And then I got a call that the that Shear wanted to meet me, um, that I did okay in the first interview, and that Shear and Curtis Gwynn wanted to talk to me, and so I went to a cafe and met with Paul. Uh, And immediately he was like, oh, yeah, like, oh, you do like UCB stuff because his show, like, I think I was on Mod at that point and his show, Facebook, like followed Mod. So like he'd see me in the halls or something and recognize my face. And the interview was so quick. He was like, so yeah, you write sketch and comedy and like we do an 11 minute show on Adult Swim and like you seem to get it. This is great. Uh, we got to meet with some other people, but I love this. Uh, and, um, then he hired me and that's like, I think where everything changed. Then I was able to quit the night job. Um, uh, they were super, um, uh, dream friendly over there. Like they let us leave for auditions and, <laughs> and UCB writers meetings and stuff. Um, and that's where everything, ev- like everything pivoted right there in 2012 when Paul gave me this job. Um, because then I was the writer's assistant on all their shows, children's hospital and newsreaders. And so my first, like, after Red Hour, like, my first entertainment job is working for Paul Scheer, Rob Corddry, David Wayne, Ken Marino. Like, these are people I was obsessed with before I moved here. Yeah, it feels like a lucky job to have gotten. Absolutely it was a lucky job. Like, I, that, like, that's the point where, like, I had something to do with it, because I successfully interviewed for it, but, like... It's kind of overwhelming sometimes to think about the fact that if that job didn't come along right then, like none of this could have happened. Writers' assistant jobs are hard to get uh, from what I understand. And like I sort of like got lucky and, and, and was recommended to the right one. Um, who knows what I'd be struggling, <laughs> toiling away at um, if I didn't get that one? I think I like to think I would have found one because I was pursuing. that. I was like asking people, like, "Hey, who's got writer's assistant? Job? Like, where can you get a writer's assistant? How do you get a writer's assistant job?" I guess I just got to skip the writer's PA portion.
0: Yeah, I think if it wasn't that, it would have been something else. Yeah, um, and if it wasn't another writer's assistant job, you would have found a different way to do it.
1: Right, because um, I had friends who were pursuing the same thing. Like one of my best buddies out here, Howie Kramer, was also like really hustling for that writer's assistant position. Uh, and he managed to like get into Paramount and was a writer's PA and then assistant on community. Uh, and um, yeah, like just looking back, I was like, man, yeah, I bet me and Howie would have like traded a job at some point or something. He was like also like always kind of looking out and wanted to know like, he's, he's, he's always been like the dude who's like checking in and saying like, what are you writing on? Like, uh, or what are you working on? Um, I feel like I might've stumbled in to something, like, via him, maybe, Uh, because he was also, like, uh, yeah, just, like, a very driven, like, I have to get this kind of job because that's going to serve what I want to do out here.
0: For a while, I was trying to feel out how much of a gamble that whole writer's assistant thing was, because I saw friends who were doing it and would get stuck in it for, like, years, Um, but you were, like, an example of that thing working really well because um, how did it end up because you went from being a writer's assistant eventually to being staffed on newsreaders
1: yeah. how did that happen uh, it's not common I know because there were writer's assistants before me that didn't end up doing that um, and I think it's generally encouraged anyway like I feel like that's on purpose like I feel like they want you to writer's assist and then outside of that get your own writer's job I don't I don't know. I don't really know how much promotion there is from writer's assistant to writer, but I think it's uncommon. Um, and it was, I don't know. I was just, I knew how to read it. Like, I, I think. I—I I, In the room, like, I knew when they didn't want to hear from me. I know they don't want, like, you don't, I don't know. You don't want to be too vocal and, like, distracting from the actual writers who are trying to crack a story or something uh, and just look for lulls in the room, and then throw something out, and like my batting average was okay. Like those lulls where I would throw something out, like, might get a laugh, and then they would put that note card on the board, and then it would wind up in an episode, and then you do that enough, and I presume maybe that uh, somebody on my first season of assisting on newsreaders was like, "Hey, there's a, um, there's enough." of those pitches that it's noteworthy, maybe, that I got in. Uh, But also making it very clear, you want to project, like, that you're not content, I think, if you're a writer's assistant. I think you want people to know that outside of that job, I was also writing features and, like, uh, sending my stuff out to people to, like, try and get representation. And, like, they... I I think I got promoted because they... I don't know. I don't know, really. I think, didn't... I I hope, I hope, I would like to think that they saw, like, well, Tim's going to get something anyway.
0: Wasn't it that you had a script that was, like, kind of going viral, like a short script you had written, uh, that, like, a lot of people were, like, kind of passing around?
1: Yeah, I had, I had written something with another person, uh, uh, uh... We sort of collaborated on an idea, and then I, I wrote a, the full like script of it based on like what we had talked about. Um, but that had sat around for years. I hadn't done anything with it. I, I still sort of considered it their project because they sort of came to me and wanted help with cracking this idea of theirs. Um, so yes, a little bit before they finally called me, or not finally, before, a little bit before they called me for newsreaders, um, uh, my friend Heather... Uh, who was also on a mod team at UCB had asked me to just like she wanted to read some stuff I'd written. Uh, she asked me at her birthday party, and yeah, uh, I had some samples. I had a pilot. I had this short script that I had written with this other, that I collaborated with with this other person, um, and I, I sent those to her as just reading samples. Um, and she sent it off to a manager that she knew, and the manager really liked them. My current manager, Audrey. Uh and she really loved uh uh the short and thought the pilot was super funny. I wrote like this adult swimmy kind of wrestling pilot that you've read. Um and so she was like, I would love to r- represent you. Um and so then I had a manager because like the right person had passed my my material to a manager. Uh and um so then, like, she sent my samples to a couple of people and then sort of out of my control a little bit in a way that, like, made me really uncomfortable and scared a little bit. Like, my stuff just kind of got spread all around. Uh, and a lot of people responded um, uh, uh, to the samples, I guess. And then I got news readers, And then, based on my uh, uh, samples that I'd given Audrey, uh, the agents like were interested in me, um, at like the big like agencies, which was like crazy and weird. And like, it all happened in two months. Like I went from being a, a UCB mod writer and a writer's assistant on the show to like, they, they, I think my boss, Jim Margolis, like called me and offered me the newsreaders job, like two days before I interviewed at CAA and WME or, or met with them, I should say. Uh, and so then, like, in seven days, I, I now was staffed on a show and had, like, heavy, what I perceived as, like, heavy hitter agents and a manager who all seemed to like me. And I was so scared because, like, I didn't have that much material. Um, the pilot was, like, this very expensive, like, cartoon that, like, would be a long shot. The short was not... Mine to do anything with. Uh, It was like, it was, uh, I had collaborated on that short and it was not mine to make. Um, So I really, like, I had this feature I was working on that, like, I really believed in, but, like, now I had the reps and realized that I didn't have any material to back it up. And I thought I had a lot of material before that point. And now I realized, like, oh, I don't really have anything sellable. Like, we could try to make this adult swim pilot happen, but, like, I have to start writing now. And so, if you see any work ethic in me, which I'm very skeptical about, like it all happened in that moment, like it was birthed there, where I was like, I have to write, 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 because uh, my sketch packet is only going to do so much. Like there's only X amount of job interviews you can get out of a sketch packet, and so that's where I was like, all right, time to write some movies and 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 another pilot and. Um, uh, began working on that at the same time that I was, yeah, staffed on my first show. That experience was wonderful and not scary at all. Uh, that ruled. I was like, now like my boss was like up here. Oh man, it was so great. Like that, And it was like a little show on Adult Swim where you were allowed to be super free and goofy and pitch any kind of story you wanted to do. Uh, it was awesome. And
0: because of your experience as a writer's assistant and being in the room at New Money, like just being in a writer's room felt very comfortable to you?
1: Um... Um, I wouldn't say that I was super comfortable. I was intimidated because the other writers on Newsreaders were, uh, kind of like, they were all older than me. One of them was like the dude you call in to like, you want that guy on your first season of, of everything like this, this old standby TV writer. There was a, some stand-ups. uh, Um, I was very I was so I mean no question I was the green one in the room this was I was the only one doing his first job yeah and so I was definitely intimidated and um, also like some of the other guys were just uh, better at pitching than I was at this point like they could like all right, what about this? And then they had nine pitches to go and were right. very vocal in the room. And I was like, oh, I could feel myself like being not vocal enough. And I was like, I got to get in here. I got to get in here. I got to bring in some better ideas. Um, and it it ended up being fine. I, I ended up getting like f- four or five segments in the season. Um, uh, it's a fake 60 minutes show. So like each, each episode has two like fake 60 minute segments. Uh, and I got like five in, which was a pretty good ratio for that room. Uh, and felt fine at the end of it. But I I would not say I rolled in there very confident based on my new money experience, (laughs) which is like you're sitting on a couch with your six buddies and the the stakes are, you have to put on a good mod show, but the stakes are very, uh, the professional stakes are low. Like as long as you're bringing in some good sketches, you're fine. Whereas like in in that job, I was like, well, if I'm not funny for like a week, like I'm dead. Like I'll never get, I won't get hired back. I can not be funny for a week on New Money. <laughs> I yeah. can bring in a bad sketch and fix it next week. I can't do that at N T V.
0: TV. We we're going. We've we've really bounced around in chronological order all throughout mm-hmm. this episode. But uh, can you talk a little bit about the experience of being on New Money? Um, to me, like you're the person who of everybody on the team. I think who's like the biggest fan of the team. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's a lot of fans of the team on the team, but like, you seem like you
1: love that team. I'm a little obsessed with us. Um, I think we're the best for sure. <laughs> uh, uh, and I've talked to definite, well, I've talked to all of you about it, but like, yeah, I think I've talked at length to Mary, uh, Holland, one of our team members about like, they really like, it, I really think like we were, we lightning in a bottle a little bit like our weird energy matches in a very specific way uh, ne- there's a, the, the um, I think Nephew does as well like that's another mod team where I'm like you guys were meant to be together uh, I think we were meant to be together like I've coached teams full of great people who did not seem meant to be together uh, where like just it didn't gel um, did, did you guys
0: instantly because I was not on the team for the first year
1: yeah was it
0: instant, uh, what's the word?
1: No, I think, yeah, we all had to, like, get to know each other, and I feel like uh, our first couple of shows, like, I think they're good shows with great sketches, but it feels a little sort of, uh, generic's not the right word, but, like, oh, yeah, a mod night. There's five sketches, or six sketches. Um, uh, I, yeah, I really, like, it just slowly came out, like, man, after three months of, like, working with Kyle, like, you realize, like, oh, man, this guy's brain works completely differently than everyone else's. And Aaron has this, like, it infuriates me, his, his genius for, like, just sketch in general. Like, he's the dude with the encyclopedia brain and can name every sketch on every show that's ever been and, like, just... Speaks sketch in the way that I don't. I truly don't know anyone else does at the theater, teacher or otherwise. Like he, he knows. Ex- like I don't know. He has, <laughs> and he doesn't care about it. It seems he's just like yeah, whatever. I write some sketches. He didn't really care about being on a mod team. He, I think he, he like auditioned on a whim and got it and was like all right, I guess I'll do this. Uh, and yeah, our actors like they're they have this shorthand with one another that like. Blows my mind sometimes. Like, they'll make outright wrong choices. I feel like on paper that just destroy on Mod Night because they all clearly like love each other and uh, it's a group mind. Yeah, I love us. I I really think like we have this weird special energy that nobody else has. Um, That yeah, I think I (laughs) I would agree that I'm the one who cares the most about this. I don't think anybody else like maybe even perceives it. and I would say, like, it grows, too. Like, I don't know that I would have been this effusive and, like, uh, starry-eyed about new money even two years in. Um, uh, I mean, it, it's really just even this last year, because all of us are starting to be successful, like, a huge, huge percentage of new money is, like, working professionally at this point and, like, being paid to work on movies and TV and... Uh, and. Um, some of us have gone on to like uh, uh, great, great shows. Uh, And just like the confidence that comes with that. Like you can see that like now, now new money like shows up to practice really ready to like play and improvise and explore. And just like, this is the fun outside of work. Um, Coming to a head like at that play we did last December, like. That play like really moved me in a way. I was like, "Oh my God, we this is are a Christmas
0: play." Yeah,
1: like we are really something special. I don't know that this play exists from any other team. Uh, it was like, I don't know. I don't. I, I. don't like like drawing other like art form comparisons, but it really was like watching our, watching us like play music. Uh, <laughs> um, our actors just so comfortable and with being weird and and you know, improvising off the script that like you me and Aaron wrote over like 8 hours until 5 in the morning the night before because I'll like remember that forever just like my my story structure brain like getting hung up at the end and like we could have been out of that room like 2 hours early and it was you <laughs> I regret it like I feel bad but it was like I was furious, not furious, I was really hung up on like our play not paying off in the end. We had set up these like runners all throughout that I wanted to dovetail and pay off. And it was four in the morning and we were so exhausted and like we had a script due and we were just like, let's just do something goofy. Let's like not pay it off. And the joke will be that it doesn't, like, or we'll just open some weird presents at the end of this Christmas play. And I was like, no, it has to dovetail, it has to pay. And you in particular were like, pitching all kinds of options for it. And I was like, you know that's wrong, like, right? And I feel like I was the one like, I don't, I, I feel like I was throwing such a wrench in it, but then like you did crack it. Like <laughs> you did find the perfect payoff for the play that did incorporate everything that came before. And I immediately stopped feeling bad about being such a, a wrench. Like, I was like, oh my God, see, oh. Like, even if I was the only one that perceived it, I was like, this was worth it. Uh, this is the wrestling of Apollo and Dionysus. Yes, like, I was I was like, that was worth the overnight thing because now our play, like, has a great payoff joke at the end. One joke, like, <laughs> uh, that, like, ties things up with a bow. Um, and I'm still like that. But I took that from getting to watch writer's rooms uh, as you know, um, on children's hospital. Like I've watched Wayne and Cordry just like not leave until they crack a thing. Um, and I liked it. I didn't think that was annoying. I was like, this is what you want to strive for. You want to not be happy until it's when it's right. Everybody knows it's right. When that room like cracked something, they were like, we did it. All right, great. Put that on the board. We finally did it. Uh, And that's how I felt on, like, that new money play. I was like, yeah, we did it.
0: So in recent months, you worked on the show Filthy Sexy Teens. Mm -hmm. As a staff writer, that was your second job that you were staffed on. Yeah. Um, You've been writing a bunch of different uh, screenplays for films. How much of the time now do you still feel scared um, and in over your head?
1: Uh, I'm not over the impending doom feeling. I do feel like it could all come crashing down at any moment. What would that look like? I guess, yeah, like losing your reps, um, because you haven't worked in a while. Like, I don't know what would, I truly have no idea what that would look like. If I don't have representation anymore, like, you're, what do you do? You can't go on any general meetings anymore. You can't meet on movies. Like, nobody's reaching out to you. Like, you have no access to anything. I would just be teaching at UCB, uh, which I love. But like, uh, I hope no one is offended that that's like not what I want to do forever. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Or I guess like if we're really like daydreaming, like even a movie, I get my first movie made and it's like bad. Not even just bombs, but like that's a possibility too. You can you can make a movie that you think is working and then it doesn't do well. I feel like you can bounce back and write another movie after that on a smaller scale, but like, I'm capable of making bad things. I write bad sketches all the time. Like, what if this movie I'm working on now that like I want to shoot independently, like back home in Alabama, like, what if I pour my soul into a movie about the impermanence of relationships and dying or, or getting over somebody dying, and it's shitty? I've seen bad movies that I know they Made thinking we're saying something important with this. Uh, I've seen people try really hard and make a bad movie, and I'm capable of that. And that would that that's so that would be such a disaster. <laughs>
0: <laughs> how, how confident do you feel about getting staffed again? On like, do you just on show to show?
1: Um, I'm, it's pretty sporadic. News readers didn't flow right into filthy, sexy teens. Uh, they they they, uh, they they're just not. I'm not needed that way at Adult Swim and uh, uh, the shows are spaced too far apart to like rely on that. It's always like a wonderful surprise when they call me and say like, hey, we want you to staff on Filthy Sexy Teens. Um, uh, Which is why I've really been putting all my effort into feature stuff because like I can feel that slow crawl working. I can feel my, like, I mean... Man, like, I got to sit in a room and, like, give my pitch for, like, a comic book property. Like, I never thought I'd get there. I, I was like, oh, my God, like, I'm really pitching right now, like, on one of my favorite comic books of all time. Like, I never thought I'd get to that point. And the fact that I'm, you know, that didn't happen. But, like, I'm getting to do that, which is cool. Um, uh, and I I want to f- push for that because staffing just... um I haven't regularly staffed. It's not like that job hasn't happened. I haven't gotten into that system uh, yet uh, regularly. I think my two pilots are fine. I don't know that I would staff me either. Like I don't know. I struggle a little bit with like trying to craft what a network sitcom looks like. Um, and I love writing spec movies, so um, I'm not that confident. Like if uh, if Adult Swim like has another thing that they think I'd be good for, they'll probably call me, the Abominable guys who make all the shows I've worked on, the live-action Adult Swim stuff. Uh, if there's another season of Filthy Sexy Teens, I bet they'll call me and say, like, hey, come work on this. Um, so there, there is probably future work with that production company, uh, but I'm not that confident I'm going to be regularly staffing on, like, TBS shows until... Um, until I get one and, and have to prove myself in that kind of room, because adult swim's different.
0: I it's, only ask because I think this will be fun audio to listen to uh, in the what I expect you know, five years from now, when you're being staffed all the time
1: that that's very nice. Uh, <laughs> we'll We'll see. yeah, because I also yeah, I also worry like about proving myself in that network room. Adult swim shows I've worked on are like four guys around a table, like. It's the extension from of UCB. It absolutely is. Like it's it felt like such a natural progression. The stakes are higher, I have to be funny, but like it's still like friends. All those shows are like four buddies, like get to make an eleven minute show. The uh, and I know it's very different in the the even more real world of cable staffing and then network staffing and I don't know. I secretly want to just like get off that sinking ship immediately anyway. <laughs> I wanna be successful at movies and if i get to write on tv like i want it to be on netflix uh like i just want in there now yeah i don't, I don't want to i don't know i'll take whatever job but i'm not aiming very hard for uh whatever abc sitcom calls as much as i would take that in a heartbeat and try very hard so
0: what does your non-humble dream for what five years from now looks like look like
1: i don't know um I would love to have had gotten a movie made in five years. Uh, I'm working on a very big one right now that I wrote on spec, like as an example of like, hey, I could write a big adventure movie. Uh, And so I wrote it truly like just on spec um, and people liked it and it got sent around uh, and some people picked it up to produce it. uh, And I have no idea what the future of that is, um, but that would be very cool. But that's, like, crazy pie in the sky. Like, that movie doesn't have any established superheroes in it. It's, like, it's not the kind of thing people are itching to spend a lot of money on, uh, which is non-pre-existing intellectual property or whatever. There's no SpongeBob in it. Um,
0: (laughs) Oh, you should probably put SpongeBob in it. I should
1: put SpongeBob in it. Uh, But then also, like, on the other side, there's this very tiny thing. I think I could move a crew out to Alabama For a month and shoot my tiny um, skeleton twinsy kind of movie. I would love to get that one made in five years. Like, I don't know how long it'll take. That one's gonna be totally self financed, I think. So, that one's just like, I have to get a different job that will let me pay for this movie I wanna make. So, getting a movie made might be nice. I would love to, like, I'd love to have staffed some more in five years. I do love, like, writing on TV. Um, I don't know. It doesn't sound very. I get that sounds enormous to me. I don't know if that's non non humbly enough for you. It also I think seems it's like it also non-humbly. seems like possibly attainable.
0: Uh, oh, it definitely seems non humbly because these seem like giant dreams.
1: That, yeah, like, are the like I, I, none of those things. It's very likely none of those things will happen in five years. Um,
0: it's, my, it's amazing that they're plausible.
1: Yeah, yeah. The fact that like I find myself like pitching on like. Like, yeah, I guess I've got a take on, like, that old cartoon from when we were kids. Like, the fact that I get to do one of those every six months, like, feels like I'm still winning a little bit. Like, or, or that I'm not winning, but, like, that I'm still making progress. Uh, I haven't gone backwards yet. Uh, and that, that'll that happen at some point. And I'm nervous about how backwards it'll be. But, like, everyone goes backwards at some point, And... Um, I'm getting a little scared of how uh, <laughs> how long it's been since a true step back. Um, I think all my real five year goals is like not work related. Like I want to get a band together. I haven't played music in a long time. That's what I really want to do in five years. I want to like get married. Uh, it's all that stuff.
0: So hypothetical question. Friends of your family back in Alabama, their 23-year-old daughter is moving out to L.A., and uh, they ask you to, like, sit down with her and give her advice. Uh, if you could give her,
1: like, one big piece of advice, what would it be? Uh, community, immediately. Like, uh, we lucked out with UCB, but I feel like there's still that community with people who are taking acting classes. I think, yeah, uh, first thing you spend money on after you've established that you can like, afford rent and stuff is start taking any kind of class anywhere. And you are, you are paying for the friends you're going to make. Like, just uh, We had, surprisingly didn't talk about it all that much, but everything came out of UCB every single opportunity everything came from there that's where I asked the guy for the internship the the woman who uh, Whitney telling me that like this writer's assistant job was open we only know each other through UCB stuff and uh, um, like that community was everything just get get to a place where you can watch people make it uh, when we started at this theater we watched the people who were breaking out then who are five years older than us like break out and you have it in front of you like you have all the million different paths you can take to break out Uh, they're all so different but like all of our friends that are working on things now um, we can trace it back to where we were all like in one-on-one together Um, so do that with acting class if it's not comedy that you're chasing after uh, uh, just yeah God find a community immediately Um, and pay attention. I don't know. Does that sound condescending? Like, just pay attention. I feel some of, I, there's, I, I feel like people don't pay attention sometimes. They're like, hey, how did you get that? And it's like, you could have gotten that. You, why aren't you writing? Like, how'd you get that job? I showed him my samples. Um, do you want me to pass anything along? No, I haven't really like written a pilot yet. And they've been here for five years. What are you doing, man? Like, pay attention. Like, uh, yeah. My my advice is to find a community and be prepared for the opportunity, which is old advice in every book about moving to LA. That's spot on. Like, you're gonna, you may or may not get lucky. I got lucky. Uh, Someone may or may not just cold, unsolicited ask you for a sample. You you better have it like oh my god you better have that sample like you should have already written something if you haven't written something because uh, somebody's gonna say like what have you written at some point and be ready for that you'll feel so dumb if you haven't and i did like when i was you know my first two years in la like first time just a friend was like what do you have he could that person couldn't have done anything for me but the first time i was asked what have you written and I said nothing, I felt stupid immediately, and I tried to fix that. That's good advice.
0: Um, Well, Tim, in conclusion, uh, I'm really glad you're a person in my life.
1: Thanks, Ben. Uh, Yes, I, I appreciate, I have a real appreciation for our relationship.
0: Yeah, I just like you a lot, and I'm glad you're a person that I know. So thank you for doing this with me.
1: There are a few people I uh, like to uh, talk about, or bitch about, or just like in general discuss story with uh, and the process uh, than you, because you're also actively doing it a lot,
0: Uh, often with a lot of bad ideas. But But please just hear my pitch for Back to the Future. Three, as I would have done it one more time. No, I can't.
1: <laughs> okay. You just outed me as being a huge fan of what they did with Back to the Future 3, <laughs> which no one agrees with.
0: <laughs> uh, thanks again for coming on the show. I rode in a cluttered room with the ceiling low, so if I stand too straight or I stand too tall, I fall. So, what'd you think? That was my interview with big Back to the Future 3 fan, Tim Neenan. If you'd like to see some Tim Neenan sketches live, you should come out to the next New Money Show. They happen the second Wednesday of every month. Again, I hope you'll consider subscribing to On the Cusp, and it would mean a lot to me if you'd consider reviewing the show on iTunes. I really mean that. When people rate or review the show, it means a lot to me. Special thanks to Casey Trela and the band Hi Ho Silvero for all the music in this episode, to my sound editor, Joe Burge, and to my producer, Cece. I can have Alexa play some good music, Pierce. This has been On the Cusp! (laughs) That's your outro music.